Today's podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Indeed knows hiring needs to be cost-effective when you're running your own business. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Peter. Terms and conditions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by Neolite. The makers are some of the most effective and best-valued red light therapy products currently on the market to promote healthy living and longevity. Check out the exclusive discounts for my audience at neolightbed.com. Okay, well, another big day of economic data that mainstream investors don't understand. I'm talking about the inflation report that came out today for January. So it's the first month of the new year, the election year of 2024. And I guess the markets were expecting better than expected news. Because after all, the conventional wisdom is that the inflation problem has been solved. Yes, we're not all the way back down to 2%. We're at 3%, but we're on a glide path. After all, we started at 9 Right, we've already gone from nine to three, right? That's six percent. We just have to coast into this last percent. And after all, Powell has already indicated that they are going to be cutting rates this year because they're confident that inflation is going to continue on this downward trajectory and stop, you know, right at two percent, right? That they've, you know, landed it that precisely. And so the markets are expecting. Uh, good news on inflation. Now, I don't know why, because we really haven't had great news. Yes, the year-over-year numbers have been improving, but that's because of the comparisons to the year prior. So we've had easy comparisons to make the year-over-year numbers look good. But as I've been pointing out on the podcast, for the last several months, we haven't made any more headway on bringing inflation down. It's been uh, pretty sticky, and to me, it looks like we're building a trough. This is uh, the bottom when it comes to inflation. You know, if the CPI were a stock, you'd want to get long. It looks like it has a lot of support. In fact, after years and years of being around 2%, we had a breakout all the way up to 9%. Now we've had a pullback, but we're consolidating north of the old 2% resistance level uh, at around 3%, never quite made it back down to 2%. And now I think we've built a base and we are headed higher. And to me, all of the fundamentals point to a, uh, a higher inflation rate. It's just that the people who don't understand inflation are the ones who think that the rate's going to keep coming down. But we got the numbers that came out today and it was worse than expected, a bigger number. So the increase that they were expecting was two-tenths of a percent for January. And we got three-tenths, which was above the upper end of expectations, which went from up 0.1 to up 0.2. And the year-over-year number still improved over the prior month because of the comparisons. It went from 3.4 to 3.1, uh, but the expectation was for 3.0. But What I think is more significant, again, forget about the year-over-year comparisons. Just look at that 0.3, which is what we had in January. 
if you annualize that rate, if we had 0.3 every month between now and the end of the year, that's 3.7% inflation. That's not even close to 2%. But where it gets worse is the core, which supposedly the Fed is more concerned about. They always say we got to look at the core. We got to get rid of uh, food and energy. The core was supposed to rise by 0.3 and it rose by 0.4. And year over year, the consensus was for an improvement from 3.9 to 3.7. And instead, the rate held steady at 3.9. But again, annualizing that 0.4% increase for January is 5%. So if the CPI in January, the core is running at an annualized rate of 5%, more than double the 2% target, why is the Fed even talking about cutting interest rates? In fact, based on these numbers, they should be hiking, not pausing and discussing the next cut. We need another rate hike. And again, more proof that we need rate hikes is again being supplied uh, in the consumer credit numbers. We just got new news again. I think it came out yesterday. But uh, household debt, again, has hit a new all-time record high. Credit card debt has hit an all-time record high. I think it's above $1.5 trillion. But what's more significant about the fact that credit card debt is at an all-time record high, credit card interest rates are at an all-time record high. The average, I think, is about 21%. But whatever it is, it's the highest it's ever been. So when you have the highest amount of credit card debt and the highest interest rate to pay on that debt, that is a huge burden on, uh, on the borrower who has all this debt. But the bigger issue is the, the way rate hikes are supposed to work, the way they're supposed to reduce inflation is by making it more expensive to borrow so that people stop spending. If Americans have been spending a lot of borrowed money and all that excess spending is bidding up prices, you raise interest rates to discourage that borrowing so that you reduce aggregate demand. You need less people spending. And of course, you need more savings. That's supposed to be the flip side. We have higher interest rates that reduces borrowing and spending but that increases savings. And with higher savings, we can have more capital investment, and so we can increase supply. So you have two things happening at once. The higher interest rates reduce demand for goods, but they also work to increase the supply of goods, and that brings prices down. But that's not happening. Yes, the Fed has raised interest rates from zero to five and a quarter, but it hasn't slowed down the borrowing. The consumer is still borrowing like crazy and spending. It hasn't had the desired effect. We need bigger rate hikes. The problem is the Fed knows that the economy can't afford it. The government can't afford it. Nobody can afford it. The the Fed spent over a decade getting the economy hooked on 0% interest rates. It's like if you get people hooked on drugs, you just can't take away the drugs and expect them to continue to behave the same way. There's going to be a withdrawal. They're going to go through detox. And I think Powell saw this coming, and that's the real reason uh, that they stopped hiking and that they then talked about all the rate cuts because they're trying to 
prop everything back up or prevent everything from collapsing, especially in an election year. But the fact that consumers are continuing to borrow and spend means that the pressure on prices, the upward pressure, is going to continue. And the problem is, consumers would not be borrowing record amounts of money with record high credit card rates if they had a choice. The fact of the matter is they don't because they're borrowing to buy necessities. They're not borrowing you know, to buy you know, uh, a new car, for example, you know, as much, or you know, a new television set or a big ticket item. They're borrowing to buy groceries. <laughs> they're borrowing uh, for gasoline. They're borrowing for a lot of things uh, that they can't afford. And so they, they got to eat. And so you know, they got to borrow the money to buy the food. But everybody is struggling because of higher prices. That's why people are taking second and third jobs. But it's not just individuals. The government is borrowing and spending. In fact, they just passed, I forget the dollar amount, was it a 80, 90, 100 billion dollar foreign aid package that's going to go through? Uh, where's that money coming from? I mean, it's, it, there's, obviously it's going to be borrowed and printed. But the national debt is now over 34 and a quarter billion. It's 34.228 uh, trillion, rather, not billion, trillion. Uh, the government continues to borrow. The increase in interest rates, tighter fiscal monetary policy is supposed to force tighter fiscal policy. The government is supposed to react to higher interest rates by borrowing less. It's supposed to be cutting spending or increasing taxes. It's doing neither. In fact, it's increasing spending. Uh, so we're getting all this stimulative fiscal policy, which is clearly stoking the fires of inflation, uh, which is why we're seeing these numbers move up. And also, if you look at what happened in the markets today, not only did bond yields continue to rise, in fact, we're almost back at 4.5% on a 30-year Treasury. We're at 4 spot 4 Four seven, the ten year is back over four point three. Both of those numbers were south of three of four, rather not too long ago. But I think we're headed for new highs in interest rates. But oil prices were also up today. Uh, we almost got up to seventy eight dollars a barrel. Uh, I I think oil is 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 moving up along with bond yields. This is all indicative of uh, more inflation. But the reaction in the, the foreign currency market and the gold market was the opposite of what it should be. Now, it's not the opposite of what's been happening. What happened today in response to the hotter than expected inflation numbers is exactly uh, what you would expect to happen uh, if the patterns of recent uh, months or years uh, were repeated. The key is that eventually these patterns are not going to repeat because they're wrong. And I'm going to get into that on the other side of this break. So stick around. I'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messages so you can contact with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agreed. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. What I love most about Indeed is how simple it makes the hiring process and allows you to do all your hiring in one place. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to actually apply for your job than the candidates who see it in search alone, according to US Indeed data. Indeed gets you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. And now listeners of my show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Peter. Just go to Indeed.com slash Peter right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. All right, so I'm going to talk about the perverse reaction in the foreign exchange and the precious metals markets to the news that inflation was worse than expected, higher than expected, meaning the dollar is losing more purchasing power than people thought. And before the uh, CPI number was released, the price of gold was up about 7 or $8. Uh, I think there was some anticipation that we were going to get a benign number, that it was going to be lower than expected. And as soon as the number came out, gold tanked, uh, was down immediately back to around 2000 an ounce, so down about 20 bucks. But by the end of the day, it was below 2000. In fact, it closed at around 1990, and it's trading a little bit lower than that now um, as I'm recording the podcast. So this is the first time uh, this year that gold is even traded below 2000, let alone closed below it. We just ended our, our winning streak. I, I forget if it was 45 days, 44 days, something like that. We had the longest number of days where gold traded above 2000. In fact, this streak was longer than all of the accumulated days that gold was above 2000 in its history. So we were above 2000 for a long time and it broke today. Now, again, I don't expect the price of gold to go much lower. I think there's a lot of buying and I don't expect it to stay below 2000 for long. Uh, The news is bullish. If um, the markets were being traded by human beings that understood Uh, the significance of this rather than algorithms that have been programmed to react to particular data points, gold would have rallied on this number. But the way the markets, uh, I guess, believe, is that when they see a a higher than expected inflation number, all they think about is, well, I guess it's going to take a little bit more work. The Fed is going to have to fight a little bit harder to get inflation down to 2%. There's no question that it's going to go down to 2%. They just might not be able to cut in March or May. Maybe it's going to be June or July. So we have to take away a rate cut or two from what we thought for 2024. We'll get it in 2025. That's it. They don't understand that what these numbers mean. It doesn't mean that the Fed has to fight harder to win the inflation fight. It confirms 
that the Fed has already lost the inflation fight. Inflation has won. They were not able to raise interest rates high enough to bring rates down, inflation back down to 2%. There is no way that the Fed's going to start hiking rates. I can't see any scenario where the Fed between now and the election is going to start raising rates. At most, they won't cut them, but they're not going to raise them because that would cause a pandemonium in the financial markets if the Fed were to start raising rates. Because if the Fed raised rates even once, they would have to price all the cuts out. I mean, everything would crash uh, and there'd be no chance that Biden could get elected. So it's not going to happen. But the fact that the Fed is going to cut rates later, if that's what the markets believe, that's not a negative for gold. It doesn't even matter about these rate cuts. What really matters is that inflation is going up. Because even if the Fed stays the same and inflation goes up, then real rates are coming down. And it's the real rate that's far more important than the nominal rate. But also, the fact that inflation is not going back down to 2% means gold has to be repriced much higher because it's going to be significantly higher than 2% indefinitely. Because if the Fed could have continued to raise rates, it would have done it. But it, it couldn't do it. It had to abort that fight because the collateral damage was going to be too great. And so it stopped. But I've been saying that based on all the inflation that's already in the pipeline from past quantitative easings, uh, we still haven't even caught up to that. Meanwhile, the money supply is growing again and credit never stopped contracting. The only reason we had a pullback from 9% to 3% was number one. I mean, nothing goes in a straight line, so you're going to get a pullback. But we had a strong dollar in anticipation of all the rate hikes. And that brought down commodity prices, which helped bring down the headline numbers. But the rate hikes are in the past, at least for the foreseeable future. The markets are looking forward to the cuts, regardless of when they happen. But once inflation starts trending back up again, the Fed's out of bullets. I mean, they can pretend that they can hike rates more, but eventually no one's going to believe that pretense because they can't do it, especially when the truth is revealed about the underlying weakness in the economy. Because there are two things that everybody's got wrong. One is that inflation is over, right? It's coming down to 2%. And the other one is that the economy, that the Fed has uh, achieved a soft landing. In fact, they didn't even have to land. That's how good the Fed was. They simply uh, reduced the altitude of the economy, but they never even dropped the landing gear. And now we're going back up. So we got this super strong economy with uh, uh, low inflation, and the Fed's going to be able to cut rates, and it's the best of both worlds, and it's Goldilocks, and everybody thinks that it's perfect, when it's the opposite of perfect. We're in a recession. I don't care what the unemployment rate looks like. I don't care about what the GDP numbers are, because they're probably not real. They don't jive with all the anecdotal evidence of what you can see that's happening in the economy. You can, you can see all these companies that are laying off workers, I never hear any announcements of companies that are hiring a bunch of workers. That's all these layoffs that are coming. And I'm sure that there's a lot of businesses that are going under that are not being captured. The government probably still assumes that new businesses are being created when it's very unlikely uh, that, that that's the case. Again, Biden's low popularity not only you know, proves how bad the economy is, but if you look at the polling questions, where 
uh, they asked voters, you know, how do you rate Biden or Biden versus Trump, where Biden gets his lowest marks, his lowest marks are on the economy. Now, if the economy were really as strong as everybody is claiming, obviously these people who are being polled, they watch the news, they, they're, they're subjected to this nonstop propaganda about how great the economy is and how it's all, you know, credit goes to Biden and these great economic policies that he has, whatever they are. Yet despite being bombarded with all that nonstop propaganda about a great economy, they know the economy is lousy because they're living in it. And so that's why Biden's popularity is at a record low. And, and that's why he scores the worst on the economy uh, because we're, we're in recession. So we're in recession and we've got inflation coming back. But what's going to make the recession so bad is that it's not going to come with a bonus of lower inflation. Because again, most people think, oh, if we have a weaker economy, well, at least we're going to get some relief on inflation. No, we're not. The weak economy is going to stoke inflation's fire because it's going to blow up the deficits. The budget deficits that are already $2 trillion or whatever to $4 trillion, they're going to go up in the recession. That's going to be even more money printing. That's going to mean more pressure, upward pressure on prices. But also, the rate hikes that we've already had, when you've had a decade of 0% interest rates, and now they're 5%, those rates are not enough to slow down borrowing and spending. But they are going to put upward pressure on prices because interest rates are prices. Right? I mean, the Fed has raised the price of borrowing money, and it's raised the price of servicing the debt you already have. So businesses that are looking at inflation pushing up the price of their raw materials, pushing up labor costs, pushing up insurance costs, higher taxes, they're also looking at higher interest costs. That's an expense. Doesn't matter to the company. I'm paying wages, I'm paying rents, I'm paying interest. These are all costs. All of these costs have to be covered by the consumer when they purchase the goods or services that that business is providing. And so this is all upward pressure on the final consumer price that is a result of the inflation that is being created. Now, if interest rates were going up enough to cause a reduction in spending and an increase in savings, then that could offset uh, the cost pressures. But that's not what's happening because re- uh, debt is at a record high. Uh, so we're not going to get that relief. It's stagflation. It's a weak economy and, rece- and inflation simultaneously. That's what's coming. And again, I don't think it's just going to be stagnation. It's going to be outright recession. And it's not just going to be high inflation. It's going to be very high inflation, not just 3 or 4 or 5%, but double-digit inflation, even the way the government recognizes. You know, I think one of the reasons that so many people might not want to acknowledge this is because just contemplating it, 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 the consequences are so horrific. If you appreciate the box that the economy is in, You appreciate the significance of what it means to have inflation rising in a weak economy. 
and what that portends in the way of a financial crisis and a sovereign debt crisis and an economic collapse. Reality is so bad, right, when you, when you understand it that I think a lot of people probably subconsciously have built up a wall, right? Their unconscious mind or subconscious mind just won't even let them, you know, contemplate that reality because it's so bad. So everybody is living in this fantasy uh, that everything can continue uh, in this benign way where we just can print all this money but never have any inflationary consequences. That doesn't matter how much debt we have, uh, there's never a day of reckoning. Uh, Well, all of that fantasy collapses when you actually look at where we are and understand uh, that reality. And we've got one more commercial. I will be right back. Now that I'm 60 years old, health and longevity are one of my primary concerns. I've done a lot of research into the subject, and I've even created my own wellness and longevity center in my own house. Part of my daily routine includes red light therapy, which improves health and promotes longevity by regulating stem cell activity, reducing inflammation, and boosting immune system functions. Red light therapy has also been shown to improve skin health by reducing the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and improving skin texture. Light therapy, in particular, red and infrared, have been shown to reduce joint pain and inflammation, improve your range of motion, and speed up muscle recovery. Red light therapy is believed to help alleviate symptoms of depression and anxiety by increasing your levels of serotonin, a neurotransmitter responsible for regulating mood. Red light therapy minimizes oxidative stress by rebalancing the levels of free radicals and antioxidants in your body. It also boosts the generation of ATP, the cellular energy source within the mitochondria. This enhances your energy metabolism, leading to improved cellular repair, tissue regeneration, and increased vitality. And finally, red light therapy has even been shown to promote hair growth. Now, there are a lot of products on the market. Some are offered at lower prices and may seem like relative bargains, but they don't deliver the type of radiance and frequencies that are required to be effective. While other products do have the required quality, they are vastly overpriced. When doing my research, I found that Neoscience produced the highest quality beds at the most reasonable price. I own the Neolite bed. It's their top-of-the-line product, but they also have less expensive options if cost is an issue. Plus, I've negotiated some generous discounts on all their products exclusively for my audience. Just go to neolitebed.com and sign up to lock in one of these exclusive offers today. That's neolitebed.com. Now, also, too, I forgot to mention late last week, um, the Federal Reserve, you know, reported uh, a better than $100 billion loss and, and then put out a statement to uh, diminish the significance of that loss by saying it doesn't really matter. doesn't matter how much money the Fed loses. It's no big deal. <laughs> well, it is a huge deal, and it does matter, right? There, there's always a cost, right? We don't get a free lunch. The Fed can't lose money indefinitely and claim those losses don't matter and no one's going to have to pay for it. Of course, uh, everybody who owns dollars is going to pay for it through higher inflation. But there's also another significance to the fact that the Fed is now losing money and will lose money uh, for the foreseeable future, is that it's no longer making money. Because when the Fed was making money, it was sending those profits back to the U.S. Treasury. The Fed is allowed to keep a small amount of profit for itself, and anything above that, it remits back to the Treasury. So all the interest that the U.S. government was paying to the Fed on the treasuries that the Fed owned, it got that money back. So that really diminished 
the, the burden of servicing the debt because it paid itself, really, and got, and got the money back. Well, that's not happening anymore. So the U.S. government has lost a significant source of income. But now, all of the interest on the Fed's balance sheet, which is almost $8 trillion, all of those interest payments that are made are a net drain on the Treasury. They're not getting any of it back. So it increases the burden of servicing that enormous debt because the Fed is having to pay all that, right? Um, but the way uh, the Fed kind of tried to you know, dress this up and pretend that it didn't matter is the Fed said, well, what they do is they create some kind of security that's like a placeholder that just evidenced the losses. And, and then in the future, when they make a profit, they net it out against that loss. And so they, they don't have to send any money to the government uh, because they're going to uh, uh, take a credit for their past losses. And so they're not going to send any more money to the Treasury until they lose up, use up all those losses, right? Which means, again, they're not going to send any money to the Treasury at all. Now, I thought they were supposed to send the Treasury a bill for those losses. I thought I had remembered years ago uh, that that was discussed. So somehow that changed. I'm not really sure when. But now they're not sending the Treasury a bill. They're just keeping score and keeping track. But what happens to those losses? They get monetized. The Fed has to print even more money. And the Fed has, um, it loses its ability to withdraw its notes from circulation. It makes it more difficult to fight inflation. It's almost like a mandatory QE program to monetize its own losses. It substantially weakens the Federal Reserve. The more money it loses, the more the the money supply is permanently increased, the more difficult it becomes for the Fed to actually fight inflation. And the losses are going to get bigger and bigger. And the fact that the Fed is telling the public, hey, don't worry about these losses. Who cares? They mean nothing. How can they mean nothing? Because that means the profits meant nothing. If it was good when they were having a profit, it has to be bad when they're operating at a loss. Anyway, I want to get back uh, to the market reaction. So gold went down, but gold stocks, as is typically the case, got clobbered. Uh, The GDX, which is the senior mining stocks, that was down uh, over 5% on the day. Uh, and the juniors, GDXJ, was down 6.5% on the day. Uh, the gold stocks among the weakest stocks on the market. I mean, gold percentage-wise, right, wasn't down that much. It was down 1.4%. And these gold stocks were already very low because they really didn't rally uh, when the price of gold got, you know, went up. But it, they sure got killed when, when the price comes back down uh, below 2000 But... The overall stock market also sold off sharply. At one point, the Dow was down just over 700 points, I believe, uh, pairing those losses by the close down 524, which is about 1.35%. NASDAQ down a little bit more, almost 1.6% on the day. But the uh, Russell 2000 really got clobbered, actually almost as bad as the gold stocks. Russell 2000 down almost 4% on the day. But again, if investors really understood what this means, the significance of what's happening, uh, stocks would be much, much lower. They would have gone down a lot more. And of course, gold would go up. The dollar would go down. Uh, because this is terrible news for the dollar that inflation is 
going to continue because that means the dollar's days as the reserve currency are numbered. And the number's not that big because this inflation is impossible for the Fed to stop. Because if the Fed does have to bring inflation down to 2%, it can't do it without destroying the economy. It's not just about do we have a soft landing. I mean, we crash and burn. There is no way to bring inflation down to 2% without destroying everything that was built on top of that phony foundation. And you got to bankrupt the U.S. government. You got to force them into default. You got to force them to cut Social Security. That's not going to happen. I mean, that's the, the one thing that Donald Trump and, and Biden agree on is that no one's touching Social Security. Social Security is off the table. We're not going to make any cuts. Medicare, too, right? None of the big ticket items are going to get cut no matter who wins uh, uh, th- this election. And so this is bad news for the dollar. Again, it's just the way these algorithms have been programmed. Anytime the inflation news is worse than expected, they are pre-programmed to react immediately. They don't think. They're programmed. Garbage in, garbage out. So they see the hot number, buy dollars, sell gold, sell gold stocks, right? Because rates are going to go up later rather than sooner. Had this number come out lower than expected, had we got less inflation than expected, gold would have been up 20, 30, 40 bucks. The dollar would have tanked. But does that make sense? Why should low inflation be uh, bad for the dollar and good for gold? It's not. But none of that matters because that's not how the algorithms are programmed. But at some point, reality is going to rear its head. And the markets have a lot of catching up to do. Because I don't think the conventional wisdom has ever been more wrong than it is right now. And I would include the summer of 2008 on the eve of the global financial crisis when nobody saw it coming in the mainstream and everybody uh, you know, was optimistic about the, the path forward. I think the disconnect from reality is even stronger now because I think this is an even bigger iceberg we're about to hit <laughs> and, and they still don't see it. In, in fact, maybe the, the bigger the, the looming crisis, the harder it is to see it. Or again, as I said earlier, the less likely your subconscious is to allow you to see it because nobody wants to contemplate the severity of the predicament that we're in. Uh, so it's just, it's just too bad to even think about it. So we can just uh, erect a, 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 a fantasy that we can all live in uh, so we can avoid uh, living in reality. Anyway, I want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, President Biden. So Biden decided not to do an interview for the Super Bowl, which has become kind of a presidential tradition. You know, you get a lot of people watching. As a matter of fact, the Super Bowl that we had on, uh, on, on Sunday was the most watched Super Bowl, I think, ever. Now, obviously, you know, there's more people now. The population is growing, but it is the was the most watched Super Bowl, which means I think it was the most watched broadcast television event in history. Uh, So obviously, you know, Biden has an opportunity to talk to a lot of people, you know, um, uh, and he he didn't. So normally a president wouldn't want to pass up the free uh, publicity, especially in an election year. The fact that Biden did not take advantage of this in and of itself tells you a lot. I mean, maybe he was hoping Taylor Swift would would, 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 would do his, you know, do it for him. But he didn't uh, say anything in person. But he prepared 
a, uh, like a commercial that he could record in advance. God knows how many takes, right, it, it took for Biden to get this done, right? But they could do it, you know, behind the scenes without anybody, you know, seeing him screw up. But it was very ironic because the whole, um, um, you know, message was that corporate America is screwing everybody over because they've been pulling a fast one because they're so greedy. What they've been doing is they've been reducing the quantity of goods, right? Not as many chips in the bag of potato chips, not as many sheets in a, in a roll of toilet paper, right? They're, it's shrinkflation. And this is somehow the fault of greedy corporations that are screwing over their, their, their customers. And he's demanding that they put a stop to it. Biden says, stop ripping off your customers by reducing the, the quantity. And they're not just reducing quantity. He didn't even talk about it, but a lot of it is a degradation in quality. You use cheaper materials, cheaper ingredients, right? You find ways to cut out costs. Now, why are companies doing this? Because they're trying to avoid raising prices, but they have to figure out how to deal with the prices that are rising that they're paying, their costs that are going up because of inflation. They're trying to figure out the best way to pass on these higher costs to their customers. And one way they do that is by shrinking the quantity. And they're hoping that they won't get the big pushback. Yes, instead of raising the price of the cereal box, we'll just put less cereal in each box and we'll, we'll save money that way. And so instead of you know, buying a box of cereal uh, you know, every, every two weeks, you now have to buy a box every, every 12 days. You know, so we're selling a few more boxes and, and we're making up for it, right? That's what they're doing. And they hope the customers, you know, don't really notice. They're afraid if they really jacked up the price, the customer may have a sticker shock and may, and may change their buying habits somehow, right? But it's not the companies that are really pulling a fast one. It's the Biden administration. It's the government that's pulling the fast one. It's the government that is spending all this money and telling the taxpayers it's free, that you don't have to pay for it. We're just going to run a deficit. Well, running the deficit is why there's inflation. It's the deficits and the money the Fed has to print to fund them that is causing all these companies to experience rising costs. And that's the reason that they are choosing to pass those rising costs on in part by reducing the quantity or the quality of the merchandise that they're selling. But ironically, this actually helps Biden. This helps the government. Because if companies were more honest and transparent and reflected all the inflation and just immediately raised prices, the public would be even more upset. Biden's popularity would be even lower than it is right now. These corporations are actually doing Joe Biden a favor by helping to disguise the inflation that he creates. But no, he's actually blaming uh, these companies and he's demanding that they stop doing this. Well, if they take him at his word, if companies stop shrinking uh, the, 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 the quantity or reducing the quality, well, then they're just going to have to raise prices even more. That's what's going to happen. Now what is he going to say? Oh, now you're really gouging the customer by raising prices. But it's ironic that he's pointing all this out. And again, this is why the government wants to pretend that price increases are inflation. 
because the government doesn't increase prices. Businesses increase prices. So the government can vilify the businesses, which is precisely what President Biden is doing. He is blaming companies for raising their prices indirectly by reducing quantity when they are simply reacting to the inflation that the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve have created. They're innocent, uh, you know, uh, collateral damage. Companies would, not, would rather not raise their prices. They would rather not reduce the quantity. But they have no choice because they have to make a profit because if they don't make a profit, they go out of business. And that's even worse, right? Because now the products aren't even available and the jobs disappear. So if companies need to stay in business in an environment where the government is creating a lot of inflation, they have to find a way to pass that inflation on to the consumer. And one way is by reducing the quantity. But now Biden uses that to vilify uh, the businesses and, and try to blame capitalism for a problem uh, that was created by government. Remember, capitalism lowers prices. That's the beauty of capitalism. You have increased productivity. You have efficiencies and economies of scale. Uh, it's government through its inflation that it creates that, cre that, that puts the upward pressure on prices. And so rather than getting declining prices and a rising standard of living, we, we get rising prices and a falling standard of living. So more people have to work. We have, you know, not only do we have a husband and wife working full-time jobs, whereas in the past, you know, the wife didn't even have to work. He just had one job. But now we have moonlighting. We have the husband's got two or three jobs. Maybe the wife's got two jobs, right? Everybody's working their butts off in order to pay these higher prices. This is the effect that government has. And they're coming up with, with new regulations. You know, I just saw more regulations now coming into my asset management business. They want to expand or they are in the process of expanding more of the anti-money laundering uh, rules that were so expensive for my bank to administer and I, I paid the cost. And the broker dealer, one of the reasons I got out of that business was because of how expensive it was to stay in that business because of all the rules and regulations I had to comply with. There weren't as many in the investment advisory business, so now they're adding more our rules and regulations there. And so they're going to drive, you know, smaller investment advisors out of business. Again, none of this stuff uh, protects the investor. It simply protects uh, the largest companies uh, that have bought these regulators and they bribe them to encumber their competition with higher costs. Uh, um, and it, it reduces, I think, the quality of service while increasing the price, which is all that government does. But there was more news on Biden uh, that came out. One, so Biden was investigated for the way he mishandled classified government documents. And the prosecutors decided that even though he may have broken the law, uh, he may have some criminal liability, they decided not to press charges. And the reason that they gave was that they thought it would be difficult to convince a jury to convict Biden, given how old he is and how bad his memory is. So he's a senile old man who's feeble-minded. And so how can we hold him responsible for breaking the law? Because he's, you know, he, he's not in his right mind. 
You know, it's like, you know, people get away with murder because they say they're insane, right? It's the insanity defense. You, you can't hold somebody responsible for committing murder if they're not sane, right? So the key is your state of mind. And what they're saying is he didn't have the right state of mind. He didn't know what he was doing. He's so absent-minded. He's so feeble that, you know, we got to cut him a break. And the jury is going to know that. They're not going to blame him. This is the president of the United States. And he's actually running for re-election. And he's not competent enough to stand trial. If you're not competent enough to stand trial, (laughs) you're surely not competent enough to be the president of the United States. You know, he's got the nuclear launch codes. (laughs) I mean, so we're supposed to trust him with those? I mean, if we're going to give him a pass, because he's so feeble-minded or absent-minded, his memory is so bad that we can't even hold him responsible for a crime that he commits, how could he possibly stay in office? I mean, he should be certified. He should be stepping down right now. I mean, not that, you know, we'd be better off with Kamala Harris, you know, but, but you would think that, you know, if, 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 you're, if you don't have that. I mean, it's not his age, right? Because there are plenty of people. Look at Warren Buffett, right? What is he, 90? I forget. I mean... Uh, Charlie Munger, I think he was 95 or he passed away, but he was working and he was very uh, coherent. He was sharp. He could run a company. Warren Buffett, there are plenty of people, octogenarians. Look at Carl Icahn. How old is that guy? Right. He's I mean, he's sharp. I mean, so you could be in your 80s, you could be in your 90s and, and, and you could be you could be fine. But, you know, you can be senile in your 70s. So it's not just how old you are. It's your mental faculties. Clearly. Biden doesn't possess, uh, you know, the cognitive ability to be the president of the United States, let alone run for re-election. And as a matter of fact, I just heard today that there's a test, like a cognitive mental test that presidents take. I don't know if they take it every year, but Biden has refused to take it or, you know, Biden's handlers. He probably doesn't make any of his own decisions. So he's the first president in history not to take this test. Now, think about this, because Trump is certainly making a campaign issue, and everybody will, about the state of mind of the president, that he doesn't have the the mental capacity to be the president, to have his finger on the the nuclear button, to hold these codes, right, to be the leader of the free world, right? You got to at least, you know, uh, you know, be there mentally, right? You would think that there's extra pressure on Biden to take this test and pass it, right? So he can prove his critics wrong. Oh, look, you see, I I did really well on this test. Uh, So your concerns are invalid. No, he's refusing to take the test. To me, that's worse than failing it. Because at least if he took the test, right, there was some confidence among his handlers that, oh, yeah, he'll pass, right? I mean, if you think you're going to pass, Right. Okay. well, we're going to take the test because passing that test, uh, it would be an important thing that the president could have to, you know, deflect from this criticism to prove that that it's unfounded. But to not take the test, to me, shows that his handlers know that he's got no chance of passing it, that he's going to fail the test. So they know that he's not competent and they don't care. They're covering it up. It's almost treasonous to deliberately put a man in office who you know is not fit to serve. He should resign right now. 
you know, I, I mean, this is more important than, you know, a physical injury. If the guy, you know, had an accident or, you know, he got was in a wheelchair. I mean, you could, you know, I mean, not that I thought uh, uh, FDR was a good president, but I mean, he was in a wheelchair, you know, and, and later in his presidency. Uh, but, you know, it's not about that. I mean, you can be blind right there. You know, you can have a lot of physical problems. As long as your mind is there, you could you could do the job. But if your mind goes, that's it, right? I mean, you 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 got to step down. I mean, I joked that maybe we're actually better off. I mean, maybe he'd be doing worse damage if he actually understood what was going on, <laughs> you know. Uh, but given the other things that the president does, his other responsibilities, national security, and all this stuff, you, you got to be competent. You know, and, 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 and I don't know if it's senility or dementia or whatever it is, but you can't be president under, under these circumstances. So, you know, I think, too, there's a good chance, I've, and I've talked about this, that Biden is not going to run. They're just going to pull a fast one. They, they, they just don't want to admit that because they don't want to put somebody else up right now, right? Whether it's a Gavin Newsom or whether it's Michelle Obama or whoever they've got up their sleeve. The longer they can wait to pull the, the switch, the better. Because, you know, Trump could spend all of his time beating up on Biden. And it's not going to matter if Biden's not the nominee, right? So the longer they can hide the real nominee, keep that person under wraps, uh, the shorter the window there's going to be uh, to, you know, to criticize that, that, that person. So that might be the plan. You know, they're laying a foundation now. You know, some of this stuff is getting leaked uh, to replace him. I don't think they're going to replace him with Kamala Harris because, I mean, she's so wildly unpopular. Uh, but, I, you know, I, at the end of the day, if the economy does what I think it's going to do, which we should be in recession. Now, they may not acknowledge it. You know, they, they may wait. They may wait until after the election to go back and revise all the data and confirm what I've been saying, that we've been in a recession for the entire year, right? They may hold off, right? Because they don't have to release those revisions. They can hold off. I mean, there's no way they want to tell the voters officially what they already know unofficially, that the economy sucks and Bidenomics is a complete failure and we're in a recession. They may want to wait uh, until the election is over to, to deliver that bad news. But the voters are going to feel it more. They're going to feel the pain. They're going to be deeper in debt than they are now. Inflation is going to be much higher. The cost of living is going to you know, have, have risen. Uh, and, and so I think that even if they pull a switcheroo, switcheroo and they, they put somebody else up there, it's going to be very hard for whoever they nominate, the Democrats, to run away from the Biden record. I don't see how you run for election as a Democrat and not be held responsible for the failures of the Biden administration. I don't know how uh, that's going to happen. So I still think that whoever the Democrats nominate um, is going to have a tough time. But I think the only chance they have of winning is to dump Biden. And the later they dump him, the better. Right. Uh, and, and so that might be part of their strategy. Now, I don't know how long they have. I don't know what the rules are. You know, this is I don't think this has ever happened. So it's kind of an unprecedented a situation. And it's also a situation where uh, uh, it's possible that a jury convicts Donald Trump of, uh, of one of these crimes, because apparently he is competent enough to stand trial, right? Unlike Biden, who no jury would convict, 
because he's so feeble and absent-minded, right? We can, we, can, we can hold Trump accountable because, you know, he's sound of mind, right? Uh, you know, which to me in and of itself is a big deal, right? That, that we, we, we can try Trump, uh, but not Biden uh, uh, for that reason. Uh, but of course, there's also a double standard because, uh, you know, of Trump's, Trump's politics and uh, what they're trying to do. Uh, if they can't beat him, you know, honestly at the, at the ballot box, they're going to try to get the jury to decide for the voters. Because I think they polled a lot of the people who intend to vote for Trump have actually said that if he's convicted, they won't vote for him. But I have a feeling that that's not true. <laughs> I think that a lot of people are just embarrassed, right? Because, you know, somebody asks you a question. Hey, would you vote for President Trump even if he was convicted of a crime? A lot of people may be embarrassed to say, yeah, I would. Uh, so I think they may tell people, oh, of course not. No, if he's convicted of a crime, of a crime, what kind of person do you think I am? How am I going to vote a convicted felon or criminal? I, I mean, I'm not going to do that. But of course, if he's acquitted, if he's innocent, well, then I can vote for him. So I think that people are likely to say that. But when it comes down to voting, right, because nobody knows, it's still a secret ballot, right? When you get into that voting booth or, you know, however you vote, um, then people are going to do what they want because they don't have to worry about, about looking bad. <laughs> and they're still going to vote for Trump. I don't care what he gets convicted of. <laughs> they're not voting for Biden. Uh, they're they're going to vote for Trump. By the way, I did see some other news that came out, too, about the inaccuracies of the, uh, the mail-in ballots. You know, more evidence coming out that a lot of these uh, 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 ballots that were mailed in, uh, that there was probably a much higher degree of inaccuracies, whether it's fraud or just mistakes, than in a typical year. And of course, we had lots of people who voted uh, by mail because of COVID. So it was an unprecedented uh, percentage of the votes that were cast by mail. And so just more reason to, to doubt the legitimacy of the results of the election. Now, for some reason, if anybody questions it, no, how dare you question uh, the legitimacy. Why not? I mean, there's so many things that were fishy about the election uh, to not question uh, the validity of it. That, that, that doesn't make any, any, any sense. It doesn't mean that you're un-American or you don't believe in democracy, even though I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I don't like democracy. I'm just like Thomas Jefferson or, uh, you know, George Washington or John Adams or Benjamin Franklin. You know, all of our founding fathers had the same the taste, the states from uh, uh, democracy that I do. They hated it. <laughs> they called it mobocracy. They did everything they could to limit the evils of, of democracy in the way they, they wrote the Constitution. Uh, but if, you, if Donald Trump or anybody else feels that the election was rigged, that there were some improprieties, there's nothing wrong uh, with voicing uh, those opinions. In fact, prior to Donald Trump, pretty much every loser claims that, hey, I want to recount. It was, it was rigged, right? What did Hillary Clinton say when Donald Trump won? Oh, it was Russia. It was a conspiracy. I, it was a rigged election. He cheated, right? That's what she said. Nobody talked about charging her with a crime or anything like that. Uh, no one else, and no one went over her books. You know, Donald Trump, he joked about it on the campaign trail. Remember, lock her up, lock her up. There are probably lots of things that Hillary Clinton did that she could have been locked up for. But when Trump won, he, he dropped all that. He never went after her. 
He didn't, he, you know, he, he didn't try uh, to use his, the power of the presidency to try to put his political adversaries in jail. <laughs> the opposite of what's going on now. But anyway, so we'll see what happens uh, over the course of the rest of this week. If gold stays below uh, 2000 or immediately recovers, if we get some kind of reversal in the dollar, look, I don't know how much more uh, this is going to continue. I know it's frustrating when you've got my strategy, which is based on a weakening dollar and higher gold prices. All that's going to happen. It's just taking longer for the markets to come to terms with the reality. So far, all the macro data, it's doing what I've said, right? I said inflation was going to be hotter than expected, that we were bottoming and going back up. The markets just don't realize the significance. Again, they think it's temporary. They think the Fed can fix it just by delaying the rate cuts. They can't. Inflation is going to keep getting worse. The economy is going to roll over and inflation is going to run out of control. There's nothing the Fed could do about it because if they did, they would collapse the entire economy. Uh, which they won't allow, and so they're going to choose inflation. And so, you know, we die by inflation as opposed to deflation or collapse. Ultimately, that's a more painful and agonizing death. It's going to do more harm, but the politicians don't care because it's later. It's, it's all they know, right? Extend and pretend. Kick the can down the road. Every time they've kicked the can, they've done it by creating inflation. That's all the Fed knows. That's all the government knows. That's what's going to happen. Uh, the markets just haven't figured it out yet. But when they do, they're going to be blindsided, just like they were in 2008. They are on the wrong side of the trade right now. They should be selling dollars, buying gold. They should be selling the Magnificent Seven and all these overpriced tech stocks. And they should be buying the emerging markets, buying the value. They're not doing it yet. They will do it eventually, uh, except at much, much higher prices. Anyway, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Uh, make sure uh, uh, to enjoy Uh, That, we'll see. Maybe there'll be some kind of Valentine's Day massacre in the markets um, tomorrow. And if so, you know, we'll be talking about it on the next podcast. Bye for now.